Well, we're jumping into a brand new message series called The Good Work. It's about the book of Nehemiah. So for the next five weeks, we're going to walk through the book of Nehemiah. Y'all, y'all ready for some bad Bible jokes today? Oh, yeah. This wasn't planned. It was just led by something. I don't think it was the spirit, but led by something today. So you want to know the, the three smallest men in the Bible? Some people think it's Nehemiah, but he's not the smallest. Some of you are thinking, why did I come here today? Some of you think it's Bildad the shoe height, but it's actually Peter because he slept on his watch. All right, that was free. We're not, that's, we're not doing that second experience. We're definitely going to podcast the second experience today, so that's not on the podcast. So we're going we're to be in Nehemiah. Nehemiah, for those of you who don't know the story, I'll give you like the, the, the three-second overview, and then we'll walk through it. It's about, a, it's about a guy who saw a need, and he was used by God to meet this immense need that hadn't been solved for more than 100 years. Right? He, he saw the need, and he was used by God. And here's where we're going in this series. God has things in this world, and he's looking for men and women to meet those needs, to make a difference in this world. And he's looking at men and women like us. And he's, he wants to use us to accomplish that. So the, the good work is, is not like craftsmanship. The good work is what he has put in front of you to accomplish. And is probably a lot more significant than what you're expecting right now. So across the next five weeks, we're going to dig into this. And I'm excited about it. The Lord has already ministered to my life through Nehemiah chapter 1. I was, uh, you know, spoke on joy last week. And, and that's really good, and it sounded good, and I think I spoke the true words of the Bible. And then I hit my week, and I was discouraged, and I lacked joy. I don't know if anybody else experienced this this past week. You just lacked some joy, and it was hard. And so I thought, how ironic. I just preached on joy, and now I'm, now I'm struggling here. I'm not experiencing joy. And, and on Wednesday night, that's my message prep night, typically, where I'm digging deep into God's Word and saying, God, what do you want for us? What do you want for this community? And in that time with the Lord over this passage, He has just transformed my heart and my mind and my life and given me joy and passion and direction and vision. And so I'm going to do my best to communicate that same experience from God's Word to you today. You guys ready to go? Yeah. All right, Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1. Here's what it says. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I'm praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there, and I will bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. 
They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And then Nehemiah says, I was cupbearer to the king. Let's pray together. Father, take these words which we have read today from your scriptures and plant them deeply in our lives. Lord, let them not be simply something we hear and leave and forget, but Lord, let them be words that are planted and bear fruit in our lives. Father, let us be responsive to you, submissive to your word, obedient to everything you have for us. And Lord, we pray that you would bring us true life as we follow you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Everybody said. Amen. I want to set the context because I just read a lot. And for those of you who, who maybe haven't studied the Old Testament for a while, you're saying, okay, what's going on here? We got a guy named Nehemiah and Hananiah, and we got a guy named Artaxerxes. We got, got all these people going on. What's, what's happening here? And here's, here's the situation. Here's the context. This is all taking place in 445 B.C. So a long time ago. And in 445 B.C., to just kind of set this in a frame of reference with, with world history, um, this uh, Thermopylae, the Battle of Thermopylae, 300, right, the 300 Spartans, that took place in 480 B.C. This is 35 years later, uh, 445 B.C. And what had taken place is the people of Israel, about 140 years before, had sinned against God so much that God let the Babylonians come in and destroy the city of Jerusalem. And they took a lot of them off as prisoners into exile in Babylon. Some years later, God let some of those people return. So you have some Jewish people now at this time living in Jerusalem, back where they were taken from. And you have some still living where they were taken to. But Babylon's not in control anymore. Persia came in. So as, as we're reading all this, we're in the 21st century. We, we don't always track these movements of what's going on. But now Persia is there. And a guy named Artaxerxes is king. And so all this is going on. We're about 140 years now after Jerusalem had originally been destroyed. Again, some of the Jewish people are back in Jerusalem. Some of them are still here. And, and Nehemiah is interesting because he says he is cupbearer to the king. In the Persian court, the cupbearer was more than just the guy who carried the cup. Now, he often would carry the cup. In fact, uh, it's, it's likely that he would taste the wine before giving it to the king to see if it's poison. How would you like that job? Your, your whole job is just, you're like a human decoy. Taste the wine. All right, do you start foaming at the mouth and falling over? Okay, the king can drink it now. But it's also more than that. In fact, at some times during the Persian, uh, during the Persian Empire, the cupbearer would actually be equivalent to the CFO of the empire. In fact, we know, we know of at least one cupbearer who was second in command out of everyone in the empire. It goes, the king... And then cupbearer. Now, we don't know if Nehemiah was that high. We know he was cupbearer, so he had access to the king. He's in this very privileged position. And who knows that often God chooses the people who have influence, and he wants to use those people for his cause. So this is the context that we're, we're living in. And we start off, we read this at the very beginning, in the month of Kislev, this guy named Hananiah comes up, and he tells Nehemiah what's going on back in Jerusalem, what's going on back in the homeland, and it's not good. The walls are broken down. Now, you know, for us, we, we don't always get the significance of the wall being broken down because we live in such a different era. But it's like this. A lot of us followed what happened in Afghanistan this summer. And when, when the U.S. pulled out and the Taliban overwhelmed the Afghani army, and then all these people were in Kabul, which is the, the capital city, and they were protectionless. They were defenseless against the Taliban. That is the situation that the people in Jerusalem are facing. They're defenseless against all these enemies who want to see them destroyed. 
And these aren't just any group of people back in Jerusalem. These are the people of God that God's given his promises to. So when Nehemiah hears this, he's overwhelmed. And today I want to have three questions to ask you. So if you're taking notes, write them down. If you're not taking notes, just remember them. Three questions that, that helped Nehemiah uncover what his purpose was, what the good work God had for him was. And I think God's going to help us uncover what our purpose or the good work he has for us through these questions. Here's the first question. Do you have a burden? Nehemiah, when he heard about this, he's overwhelmed. In fact, it tells us here, verse 4, When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. And for some days I mourned and I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Do you, and this is not in the abstract, this is not a rhetorical question. I want you to ask yourself in your heart and answer it. Do you have a burden? Do you have something that God's placed on your heart and you are mourning about it? Something you're looking around in the world and you're saying, that's out of place. And I care so much that that's broken or that that's wrong that I want to do something about it. Do you have a burden? I'm convinced that, that in, in our world today, we don't do burdens well. We do stress well. We do, I'm emotionally involved in a cause for a couple minutes well. We do, I shared it on Facebook or I put it up on my Instagram story. But we don't do burdens well. Do, do you have a burden? Like, is there anything in this world outside of your immediate, like, family and friends that you care so deeply about that you're mourning it? Is there something in your life that doesn't directly impact your life, but, but, but you're so passionate about your willing to go do something about? I think for most of us, we're so distracted and we're so focused on our problems and our finances and our families and our TV shows and our YouTube channels we follow and our clash of clans that we're doing right now and we're doing really well so we can't quit playing that and we're so focused on the important things of life like Mississippi State beating Kentucky yesterday and we're so focused on the World Series right now because the Braves might get it. They're so close. Tonight might get it and we're so focused on the important things of life that we don't have burdens. When was the last time you, you were so broken over something that's literally like Nehemiah? You sat down and you wept about it. Like, and I'm not talking about something that like you got hurt or you got laid off or something happened. I'm talking about like some, something that happened outside of you. And you were so broken by it. You were so moved by it that, that you actually mourned it. In our, in our culture, in our world right now, we're so caught up and distracted. And our attention spans, scientists tell, her are shorter, tell us, are shorter than a goldfish. That we're, we're so caught up in stuff that we're, we're not able to sit down and let something affect us. And if you want to be used by God in this world, you got to have a burden. you got to care. And I'm not talking about like, like generating, like I'm going to get angry about it. Like you, you have to have something planted deeply inside of you that just like Jesus knew what he had to do when he carried this burden and he went all the way to the cross. And he, he knew as he was walking back to Jerusalem, he was walking to the cross. You need to know with your life, you can go through with that, even if it means the cross, because you have a burden that God has given you. Do you have a burden? I'm going to tell a couple stories today about people from history, Christian history, because I think often when we look back at what God has done in the past, we can see how he uses us now. There's a guy named William Wilberforce who lived in England. And William Wilberforce, I love it, he, he joined the House of, the, he became a member of Parliament in, in the UK form of government when he was 21 years old. I was 23 years old when I read that. And I thought, what am I doing with my life? I'm a failure. 
Like that dude was 21 and, and joined. And so he wasn't a Christian when he joined. He just got involved in politics. And, and partway through being involved in politics, he became a Christian. And he began to not just be a politician, but he began to be a politician for Jesus. And say, what is God's priority for my life, for how I live my life, for what I do? And eventually he felt like God called him to two things. One was what he called the Reformation of Manners. Now, what this didn't mean is making sure everybody, you know, in, in England tucked their napkin into their, into their shirt collar when they ate dinner and all that. What it meant is that they lived in an incredibly grotesque society where you'd have dog fighting, uh, you have public hangings that were gruesome. It was a very brutal and grotesque society. So he thought God had called him to bring love and joy and peace to that society through the laws. And he also thought the other thing that God's calling me to is the abolition of the slave trade in England. And so for the next 20 years, and then all the way through the rest of his life to abolish the slave trade, he poured himself into this. And it was a losing battle. And over and over again, he lost and he lost and he couldn't do it. And he'd have defeat and setback and defeat and setback. But he persisted. And because he persisted, because of his leadership, the slave trade was abolished within a few decades after he started the battle. And then soon after, I think right after he died, then they abolished all of slavery in the whole British Empire because of William Wilberforce, because he was listening to God and God put a burden on his heart. Do you have a burden? Do you have a burden? Here's my next question. That was question one. Question two gets harder. Okay, so if you're already thinking, oh, you're sweating a little bit because of do I have a burden? Here's the next question. Do you care enough to fast and pray? I care. I care about this problem. I care. I mean, how many issues do you care about? You could probably right now spout off a list of about 50 things you care about. And about 48 of them will be political. But you could probably come up with about 50 things you care about. Do you care enough about those to not eat food tomorrow so you can pray about it? Do you care enough? If you have a burden, do you care enough to fast and to pray? Nehemiah says, it says right here, I wept, I mourned, and then I fasted and I prayed. This burden sunk so deeply into his soul that he didn't just say, well, I, you know, I need to do something. I, can. I mean, because he could have. You realize, as the cupbearer to the king, he had access to the king of the greatest empire of the day, Persia. He could have gone in immediately and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to take care of business. But he didn't start with action. He started with fasting and praying. I think we'd be so much more effective in this world if we led with fasting and praying and not led with just trying to take action. And I'm speaking that to myself. Do you care enough to fast and to pray? I'm fascinated by Nehemiah and how he prayed because I pray a lot of prayers. A lot of times I, I, just, I pray the prayers that I, that I hope are in God's will. What I love about Nehemiah is that he took time to understand what God said about this problem. And I want to challenge you. If you're going to fast and pray about something, a burden on your heart, going into that time of fasting and praying, already have studied the Bible and know what Jesus says about it. Because God's got a will. And if you're going to fast and pray, you need to fast and pray in his will. So if you care about human trafficking, if that's the burden God's placed on your heart, then you, then you need to understand what God says about that topic. If, if you are passionate about helping people with addictions, you need to understand what God says about freedom, and then you can pray in his will. If you are passionate about the cause of abortion, or if you're passionate about helping young mothers understand how to raise their kids well, if you're passionate about helping families be strong together, understand what God's heart is on those things. Too often we lead with what we want. We're emotionally moved, and so we just decide we're going to start doing something, praying in a certain way. Don't do that. Understand what God says. Let me, let me show you what Nehemiah does. He goes to prayer. 
And in verse 5, he said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, listen to this, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So he starts off the prayer by saying, God, you are a Lord. You're the God of heaven who keeps covenant. Covenant was this commitment between a superior, a king, and someone who was either a lesser king or someone who wasn't a king. And they were, there were commitments on both sides. The lesser people said, we are going to support you. We will obey you. We will follow you. And the greater king said, I will protect you. I will come to your aid when you need it. I will be there for you. These were all, all throughout the ancient world. And God, back in, uh, in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy... Right, the first five books of the Bible, we're told about the covenant God makes with his people Israel. And God says, if you obey me, if you follow me, then I will be there for you. And Nehemiah has studied his Bible enough to know this. He says, God, you are a God of covenant. And then if you skip down just a little bit, in partway through verse 6, he says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. So what he's saying is you're a God of covenant, but we have broken your covenant. We've sinned against you. We have left that covenant. We have pushed you away. Nehemiah is again laying out what is already said in Scripture. He is bringing it before God. But then he says this, verse 8, Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will bring them from there bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. So he says, this is the final part, right? Not only is God God a God of covenant, and not only has Israel broken the covenant, but God's already said in his word, and you can read almost these exact words in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. God has said, if my people come back to me, I'm going to bring them back to my place in Jerusalem. God has said this. So what's Nehemiah doing? He is praying what God has already said. He is praying God's will over the situation. Do you care enough about the burden in your life to fast and pray? Do you care enough to do this? I think often we think we do, up until about noon on the day you're fasting. Anyone who's fasted knows this, right? Life is fine. You get a little rumbly in your tumbly at about 9 a.m., right, when you skip breakfast and no coffee. You're just doing water that day. About noon, you're thinking, Lord, help me. I am dying. And you know that humans can go without food for a long time, at least 40 days, usually much longer than that. And, but we feel like after about 12 hours, like, Lord, help me. I can't do this anymore. That's about the time you ask, how serious am I? I think we're serious about about the burdens in our lives up until we have to be consistent in prayer, up until we have to take it to the Lord. I saw a video. This happened, I think, this past week. Uh, Somebody in Jackson, some guys came up in a truck, and they broke into somebody's garage, and they stole uh, some sort of golf cart. Uh, Maybe it was a four-by-four. They stole it, and they took it on a trailer, and they left. And there's video of this. This is what I love about our age today. Anything that happens, somebody's got an iPhone, somebody's got a home camera. This is beautiful. Like, anything you want to see that's ever happened in the last year, like, there is a video of it somewhere. And so someone got this on video from from their home. Their home camera did. What's crazy about it is the neighbor is right across the street checking his mail and watching the whole thing take place. And it wasn't subtle. Like one of the dudes was carrying a rifle 
to steal the golf cart. This was not a subtle thing. And the dude checking his mail is just watching. Now look, you, he doesn't have to go all Jason Bourne on them. If he did and that were called on camera, awesome. I'd love to see that. But he at least needs to call 911 and say, yeah, there's a dude with a rifle stealing a golf cart from my neighbor. But he just stands at his mailbox and watches. He sees the problem and watches. You know, you know who that is? That's me and that's you. We see stuff going on and we can't even be bothered to go to the God of heaven and pray his will over the situation. We, we, see, all these pro- we, we see the problem of human trafficking and we're, we can't even be bothered to spend 30 seconds every single day praying for the Lord to set the captives free. Uh, you may care, you may have a burden, but do you care enough to pray and to fast? If you want to uncover what God has for you, and what he wants you to accomplish in this world, you have to be praying and fasting over it. And through the praying and fasting, he will shape your burden to match his will, and you will be unstoppable in his power when that happens. So the, the first question I want to ask you is, do you have a burden? The second one is, do you, do you care enough to fast and to pray? And here's, here's the third one. I've already kind of hinted at it, but I want to just bring it out as a question for you to confront you with it. Are you willing to stay focused on it? Again, your attention span, right? It's less than eight seconds. In fact, some of you, since I've started this sentence, have already quit listening to me. <laughs> Are you willing to stay focused on the burden God has given to you? Let me show you where this happens, because you kind of miss it, okay? Because we're coming to this from, from 21st century American eyes. We miss what happens. Uh, go back to verse 1. It says, in the month of Kislev... He finds out about the problem. We all know when the month of Kislev is, right? It's, it's mid-November to mid-December Yeah, in our time. Which, yeah, yeah, you guys are saying that. I just jumped ahead of you there. Uh, and then, but here's, here's what I want you to realize. He, he fasts and he prays about this. And then he offers up this prayer to the Lord right before he's about to take action. And then, then go to chapter 2. We didn't read this part earlier. Chapter 2. We're just going to read the first little phrase. In the month of Nisan. Oh, so many jokes to make about that. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine is brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. Okay, we're not going to jump into that. That's next week of what happens at that point. But, but it's in the month of Nisan. And we all know the month of Nisan is mid-March to mid-April. You could have at least picked up on the April part, right? Like after I said March, you could have gotten April there. So this is four months later. Four months later. This is a guy who was serving the king probably every single day. He had access every single day to come up and say, I got a problem. I need a solution, O king. But he didn't. He stayed focused in fasting and prayer for four months. And then he didn't stop there. We're going to read the rest of the story. Once he finally gets to the point of going to the king and, and then deciding to go to fix the problem, he persists with it. This is Nehemiah's story. Nehemiah's story is he had a burden, so he fasted and prayed, and he remained in fasting and praying so the Lord could build something in him. And then he finally took action, and then he kept taking action. That's his story. You know what our story is? We have a burden, so we do something one time about it, and then we, we get distracted. And so all that God wants to do in us doesn't take place because we're too busy getting distracted by other things. And I think often, and this, I'm, I'm talking about myself here, and probably you as well, but definitely myself. Often the reason I get distracted later is because I didn't stay focused now in fasting and prayer. The Lord's got to develop something in you that's going to sustain you through the hardest of times later. 
And you probably won't still be doing what the Lord's called you to 10 years later if you're not focused right now on cultivating that focus and that heart for what he's got for you. And so here's the challenge I have for you. If, if the Lord's given you a burden, and if you care enough to fast and pray about it, then stay focused on it. If it's a burden from God, do not remove your attention from it. Stay focused on what he's called you to do. And the Lord is looking for men and women who have burdens that he's given them, who are praying in his will, and they're fasting, and they're persisting in that so that he can unlock something in your life. You may be frustrated with where you are in life right now. Life's not moving fast enough. You're not accomplishing enough. You didn't think at your age or your stage in life, you'd still be where you are right now. A lot of us feel that. It doesn't, I've talked to people with kids, and they're like, I thought it would be better than this. I've talked to people who don't have kids. They're like, I wish I had kids. And I'm like, well, go talk to those people about it because they're saying one thing. And i talk to people who are married, and they're like, ah. I talk to people who aren't married, and they're like, and it's, everyone's just all over the place, right? And we're all like, our lives aren't where they need to be. Well, what if God has you where he has you so you can develop the things in your life right now so you can go where he wants you to go later? And, and for so many of us, we're, we're rushing through, and we don't sit with the Lord and have a burden, and we don't take time to fast and pray and let something grow up in us, and we're living superficial lives, and I'm not saying that you're superficial like desperate housewives kind of superficial. You're superficial because you're just living on the surface of what God has for you. You may love Jesus. You may want to do his will, but you're not taking the time. You're living on the surface. And this is what I was challenged by this week. I went from being discouraged to being joyful and passionate because I was challenged by this. God wants to build something in me at such a deep level that nothing in the world can stand against it. Are you willing to take the time to build that up? Do you have a burden? Are you willing to fast and pray? Are you willing to stay focused on it? God's got something in store for you. In fact, you might know what it is already, but are you willing to put in the hard work behind the scenes to make it happen? I was reading a story this week. I was, I was, I was, I was, I was stuck on Christian history this week. So you get William Wilberforce. I'm going to tell you another name. Adoniram Judson. Like, how can you not be a man of God with a name like that? If your name's Adoniram, you're just committed. That's a prophetic name. You're committed to do something great. Or you're committed to be a Disney villain with a name like Adoniram. And Adoniram Judson was the very first international missionary to go from America to the world. And he went early. He left in 1812. We're still fighting a war in 1812 with Great Britain. We're still fighting, duking it out. And he's like, peace out, America. I'm going to change the world. And so he goes, and he goes to India. And then from India, he goes to Burma. And in Burma, there are hardly any Christians, like no Christians pretty much. And he goes into Burma, and he starts ministering there. And it wasn't until 1819, seven years after he left America, that he finally got one person to believe in Jesus. Are you willing to stay focused for seven years when you see no fruit? Are you willing to keep passionately following him? So he goes there, and then it's like, oh, that was tough. Well, the next part is tougher. Because he gets captured in a war that he's not a part of, and he's tortured for 18 months. And he's put in a, like a concentration camp, essentially, for 18 months, and he suffers there. He gets out, then his wife dies. But get this, it's just his first wife, because he gets remarried. And get this, that's just his second wife, because she dies, and he gets married a third time. And he loses across his time. Six of his kids die on the mission field. His life is hard. He, he translates the Bible, and at one point he's in the middle of translating the Bible into the, the Burmese language, and everything he has burns down and he loses it all. He hadn't copied and pasted. He forgot to do that. There's no control Z to undo. All right, it was over. 
And he has to start all over again from the ground up. And his life was misfortune and challenge and hardship and disappointment. But he persisted in it because he had a burden and he had fasted and prayed and he was ready to go and he stayed focused on it. When he died, he wasn't remembered as a great man. He died on a ship. They didn't have a funeral. They didn't say anything. They didn't bury him anyway. They just tossed his body over the side. That's how he ended. But because of his ministry, not long after he died, there were half a million Burmese Christians. 500,000 men and women who were snatched out of hell and brought into God's kingdom because of his ministry. He suffered for 36 years. And he wasn't celebrated. He wasn't recognized. There was no social media for him to share stuff on. He was there and he stayed focused. Are you willing to stay focused? Do you have a burden? Do you have a burden? Seek that burden out if you don't. If you have a burden, do you care enough to fast and pray? If you're willing to do that, are you willing to stay focused on it? I think out of this room right here, God wants to transform nations. God wants to transform family trees. God wants to change whole cultural issues that we have going on. God wants to use you to start a ministry to set people free from the crippling depression they're remaining in because you give them life and community. God wants some of you to be people who disciple across the rest of your life hundreds of people who in turn influence hundreds of thousands of people. God wants this for people in this room. But do you have a burden for it? Are you willing to fast and pray? And are you willing to stay focused on it? God wants you to be an Adoniram Judson, to pour yourself out, to suffer, to serve him. And when you die, no one cares. But because you lived, hundreds of thousands of people will live for eternity. God has a good work in store for you. Are you willing to find it? Are you willing across the next five weeks to dig in and stop and focus in enough to see what that is? If you are, you will be an unstoppable force in God's kingdom.